Welcome to Dragon Talk. Thank you, everyone, and welcome. I am Greg Tito, and uh, applause starter is... Shelly Mazanova. Hi, Shelly! Yay, Shelly! I love, I love this like, extremely polite applause. It's just so exciting. Say your name. Oh, wait, who are you? I'm Greg Tito. Oh. Oh, it's does not. We yep. should do that at every table when everyone like comes to uh, talk about their character. You're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a half elf ranger named uh, Beelzebub. Yay! Hey, Beelzebub. I don't you. know why it chose Beelzebub. Don't know either. Not really a good half elf character name. Uh, you know, you can't judge people by their names. It's true. Unless uh, it's like a name they gave themselves, and then I feel like you can. So, like Cher. I don't know. That's not her real name. Oh, is, I, I thought it wasn't. Is it not her? I mean, Madonna. She chose that name, right? No, that's really her name. It's not her Swear real name. Swear to God, name. that is her name. Well, maybe. Madonna Louise Tacone. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. What I, about Lady, Lady Gaga definitely made up her name. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> her real name is Bob Lady Gaga. Yeah. 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 Gaga's her middle name. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you should pronounce it Lady Gaga. Gaga. The, the, the real uh, Italian way of pronouncing her name. Yes. Uh, we are here to uh, talk to an amazing person named Arnie Niekamp. Do you think that's his real name? No, definitely no. not. Right. Uh, but his real podcast is named Hello from the Magic Tavern. Love it. It's very funny. Uh, so Im- good. Improv comedians doing all of the fun stuff. Wait, this is all, it is all improv, isn't it? It is all improv, yeah. They, oh my God. They, they, they know like a little bit about what the character is going to be and then they just make it up from there. How is it so good it's every amazing. time? Because they're improv, they're people, they're good. So I can't wait to, uh, you know, pick his brain, learn all about uh, the, the process, where that yeah. uh, started, how, uh, you know, there's a lot of D&D crossover between uh, what's happening in the magical world of Foon uh, and all that fun stuff. And you'll find out what Foon is when we talk to Tony. I would like to visit Foon. I think it sounds fun. I want to. I want to find a Burger King in uh, Chicago. Be and, careful. And jump into that portal. If you go, make sure you have podcast equipment with you. That's a good call. Yeah. Ryan, I need all the podcast equipment I can need. I can get. And I'm going to put it in my pocket. He may or may not fall into a portal. That's true. You never know when you're going to fall into a portal. I mean... You know, you just climb into a wardrobe or... Uh, but there know. is a Burger King in Foon <laughs> with Wi-Fi. No, I think the portal is in... The Burger King is in Chicago, but... You know, they can still... The Wi-Fi still reaches That's, through the portal? Yeah, That's exactly. why it's weak. It's very weak, right? Oh. And they have to recharge all of his laptops and all this stuff. <laughs> Uh, if, if it sounds like what we're talking about is, is slightly ridiculous, that's because it, it is. It will make sense, though. It yes. will make sense. It's good stuff. You'll love it. We have been talking about Ghosts of Saltmarsh because it is an amazing adventure that's coming out May 21st. Uh, yep. There are two covers for it. One has an amazing uh, piece of artwork that was created by Gregor Zrutkowski. That's you. That's me. Yeah, yeah that's my, my alter ego. Um, but it looks amazing. A Sahuagin climbing up into a smaller boat with a kraken in the back on the waves, the roiling waves uh, behind Too there. Too many people on the boat. I love it. Um, and the alternate cover that is available only in game stores on May 21st uh, was created by N.C. Winters, and it's got that kind of soft-touch Volo's Guide, uh, Xanathar's Guide uh, feel to it with some metallicness of a Sahuagin. Again, I see a theme. Reaching out and uh, screaming and fangs and claws uh, all over it. It's very, it's very creepy. It's not good. It's not good. But it's a very cool looking cover. I will tell you that. Yeah. 
And again, you can only get it in game stores. So go check out uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. If you're interested in a preview of that, uh, Shelly played in a live-streamed game, Dungeon Mastered by Mr. Chris Lindsay, uh, that uh, took an adventure from Ghosts of Saltmarsh yes. and uh, expanded upon it. Did you yes. have fun doing that at Gary, at Gary Cunt? Yes, I did, actually. That is good. I played Flapper. Flapper. Yep, he was flying a lot. And uh, not shooting down people, or that was your, your no, he short did, shot? he did too. Oh, sure shot. Sure shot. Yep, she shot down people too. I like that character. I need to play her again. Yeah. I like that you're basically a beastie boy. Yeah. Rocking the sure shot. Oh, yeah. every D&D character should have a theme song. Oh, my God, I love this. Especially one that's not, uh, um, you know, protected by copyrights. <laughs> but at your table. Yeah, yeah, at your table. Just think about that. What would your D&D character's theme song be? Like when they walk out um, onto the adventure grid. <laughs> dancing on the ceiling. Oh, that would be good for you. That'd be good if it was like a bard or some kind of an acrobat. Uh, yeah, definitely. Or a spider. Spider. Yeah, one who uses spider climb a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dancing on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. like it. What would flappers be? Flappers. Um, the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Lift you up on eagle's wings. Yes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Speaking of flapper, yeah. did you look at what I posted on your Facebook page? No. The I have show. A, the, I have a Facebook the page? The Magic Garden. Oh, yes. I did see that. Yes. That is amazing. The show. The show, the show we were talking yes. about. Uh, yeah, it looks amazing. And I was like, definitely transported back. And then I was looking at Talk, the magic portals. The magic portal, right? I went back in time. Yeah. Time travel is very hard. It is. Um, and then did you see uh, when we were looking up images of those, of those women, like where they are now? There was like a profile of what they look like now and then comparing that for now, which I thought was just really, I really kind of cool. I feel like they'll always look like Karen and Paula in my mind. They're timeless. With and their long, they drink lots hair. of potions of, uh, of longevity in order to make that they, happen. Hung out in the magic garden with a magic tree and a squirrel. I'm pretty sure they drank lots of potions. So many you know potions. What I mean? uh, so we mentioned this last week when uh, Jim Zub was here, but we want to make sure you get it. Uh, the Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons comic series. Yes, all four issues are out and now contained in a single omnibus issue. Uh, not even an issue, a book, a uh, some a beautiful hardbound. Yeah, one. Yeah, there's a bunch of different versions. One is hardbound. One is uh, actually, I think there's two that are hardbound. And yeah, different covers. Hardbound is that lots what you of say? different hardcover. Hardcover. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that Pelham feel like. has an image. Pelham has images. Um, there are uh, again four different versions. One is a GameStop exclusive that includes an adventure written by Adam Lee in there. Um, there's yes. an original cover by Mike Vasquez, which was the front uh, first cover of uh, issue number one. There's a Barnes and Noble exclusive that is awesome, and it's got a, uh, a poster included in the back. They do a lot issue. of different versions. I know, I, and, I, and that's the way I love to consume, uh, you know, comic books and graphic novels like that. Is just like in that in that it's like format. A bunch. Out, like bulk, yeah, a little bit more in bulk. You can, you know, you can still read it pretty fast, probably like in an hour or two. But yep. it's wonderful. Uh, if you uh, didn't hear our interview with Jim Zub, he can tell you all about uh, what it was like putting that together, as well as gosh, our previous interviews with uh, uh, Patrick Rothfuss and Jim. Uh, yes, all about we did. this back in uh, in back in September. Yep, it's great. It's really good stuff. Um, on the tip for uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, our friends at Beetle and Grimm's are putting together a sinister silver edition. 
You can get it pre-ordered now. Uh, it includes uh, more than 12 in-world documents and letters, a battle map uh, for uh, a whole bunch of different things, including different ships and two larger battle maps, a large area map, more than 30 encounter cards. These encounter cards are great. Uh, I think this is what they're referring to, but um, I started using those in my home game for for Waterdeep Dragon Heist using their Platinum Edition box, and they have... Uh, it's like a big tent, essentially, with a fold in it. And you put that over your Dungeon Master screen, and on the front, it just has the image of uh, the monster or NPC that you're encountering. Like, oh. Just the artwork. And then on the back, it has you know, the name of what it is as well as um, all of the stats and information for the Dungeon Master. So it's like this... I mean, a lot of people have used tents and things like that yeah. in the past, but this was just a great um, iteration to use official artwork, show that to your players in a way that's not... Like trying to cover it up with your hands or anything like that, um, but it's all right there in front I of you. I like and it's great. to see the artwork. I do too. When I'm playing, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's as a dungeon master, it's great because I mean, obviously, you know, I like describing things too. Right. But there's sometimes like there's a a, a, um, a build up or a uh, you know a bottleneck of words when you're trying to. Make, it looks like a it's uh, it's, it's a goblin. Scary. It's just a goblin, all right. You know, or, you know, and then you just kind of default. Even to goblins it. look different. Even goblins can look different. So having the artwork there and then. You know, if people recognize the artwork, that's one thing. But for people who don't know what that monster yeah, is, who really have, don't have an exhaustive knowledge of the monster manual, right. you know, it can be like, ooh, like that's me. scary. What is that? I don't know what its powers are. I have no idea what it does. But I know that it's got this 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 great image. Sometimes with it. I feel like, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to meta game. I don't think people should. But I feel like I don't know things that my character would. Mm. Which is why, back to Jim Zub's books. Yes. The. Yeah, we're just going to yeah, talk about those. They're called those, the Young Adventurer's Guides. The Young Adventurer's Guides are going to be really helpful for people like me. Because yeah. the way that they describe the monsters um, with the beautiful artwork in there and just like a little background and history, like this monster would be found in this type of thing. And I have been known to maybe attack a monster with a spell that everybody else knows is going to have no effect on that monster. You have? Like, Damn. I guess I should have known. I I should well, have studied tri- the monster manual. Well, more. trial and error is part of the part of the game. And I also, think. these monsters are totally made up. It's not like I know like what what happened. I don't know. I can't even think of an example. But whatever. I I know what you're you saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but I think that's part of the, that's part of the fun is seeing. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try something else. I know. Yeah. But then I also feel like there's five people at the table that are like. Why would you have used lightning bolts? Well, you know when you know, and you're, we were talking about metagaming before. Like there is uh, a large portion of that that we did in my three, like long time three point five campaign, where we would spend, you know, half of the session using divination spells to try to find out what we were going to be fighting oh, when we went in. Yeah, you know, because we were such high powered. Uh, uh, characters. We were yeah. up to like level 22 at some point. So we would like do all this divination to be like, are we going to fight fiends? Are we going to fight, you know, undead? Are we going to fight these guys? Yeah. And then we would prep all of that stuff for the specific things that we were, we were happening, you know? And so, you know, once you get higher level, you can start to do some of that stuff as, as a party as well. well. What do you do though as a person, not the player, not the character, Ask the player? The Ask the DM. But, but if you already know, like, I, I don't think my character would have this knowledge, mm-hmm. but I do. So I'm going to attack it in this way. Do you, or do you just pretend like, are you just super into like the character and the role playing that you're like, I feel like my character would not know this. I mean, it depends. In my opinion, I think there's definitely s- games in which, uh, you know, that type of meta gaming would wouldn't be as fun. You know, because yeah. you're like, oh, I know I know how to kill this. But I think if you're enjoying, you know. 
the ignorance of your character, like lean into that and just play yeah. it as if you were, you know, it depending on all, like if you have a whole role playing heavy group, you know, it can be really fun to be like, I'm the barbarian from, you know, another place. I don't know that I have to burn trolls. We don't have trolls where we are, right? right? That type of thing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's another strength of Dungeons and Dragons is that like your party can then have those interactions like, no, crazy barbarian, you're supposed to be doing this. And, yep. you know, isn't that, and then all of a sudden you have these character moments that inform and get everybody uh, caught up in the fun of yeah. that interaction. Yeah. Right? Which is half of what Dungeons and Dragons is all about. Yeah. The other half is about drinking lots of coffee and Mountain Dew and uh, eating Cheetos. With chopsticks. You with chopsticks. As we learned from Greg Tito. It's a very fun thing. I've never actually done it, but I've seen people do it. You're going to have to make branded chopsticks. Tobar does that, you know, sometimes when he's uh, eating at work. He does? Yeah, I've seen him with the, with the chopsticks. Doing What's he it. eating? Um, like Cheetos or Doritos really or something does like that. This. And yeah, he had it. Yeah, he was doing that. I was like, dude, I didn't even think about doing that at work because, of course, you don't want orange dust all and over your, your, your computer. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? So we mentioned the okay. uh, the Dungeons and Dragons Young Adventurers Guides yes. as being great ways to get that kind of you know meta lore into the yeah. younger folks. Uh, we talked about it with Jim Zub last week, uh, but just to make sure it's all on everybody's radar, Ten Speeds Press. Ten Speed Press is putting these out. They're you know designed for ages eight to twelve, so early readers. But they're going to have tons of information oh, yeah. for for all ages. First two, uh, one is called Monsters and Creatures, Warriors and Weapons. Those are coming out uh, July sixteenth, and then two other ones will be following in the fall: Dungeons and Tombs and Wizards and Spells. I can't wait. New artwork. Uh, written and put together uh, by Jim Zub, uh, you know, definitely a proponent and lover of the brand and Dungeons and Dragons lore and story in general. So you know they're going to be pretty awesome, and I'm pretty psyched. And I'm very impressed with Ten Speed and their their products. That yeah, right. Out. Art and Arcana is like they're they get chef, it. Chef's kiss. They, That's what I'm trying to do. They get it. I know exactly yeah. what you were. Chef's kiss <laughs> on that beautiful boat. It's magnifique. Because it's delicious. <laughs> I, I tried to so eat it. So delicious. Not very tasty, as it turns out. But um, uh, And then one final thing I want to get make sure everybody knows about, because it's coming out soon, Dungeons & Dragons, A Darkened Wish, a new comic book series um, that is written by B. Dave Walters, awesome. who you know, and yes. Tess Fowler, who makes Love amazing it. artwork. Uh, and has for for years and years and years in the critical role in other uh, communities. They teamed up. They're coming out. Uh, I, I believe That's it really is exciting. March twentieth. I think. That's soon. Yeah. That's oh like gosh. Five days. I th- I, I, now I'm getting it all wrong, but I believe it is uh, the nineteenth or perhaps the twenty sixth was their was their most. So it'll be in stores. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Look for it. I think the artwork uh, is superb, and I've been Got going it. back and forth working with Dave on some of the uh, the storyline stuff. Really? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been working on it, but I've just been like, you know, it would be really cool if it fed into D&D's oh. storylines that may be coming out, and uh, you know you know what so it is. So if I get this comic book in March, can I maybe get some insights into the yeah. storyline? you might if you're smart. If you roll a pretty good intelligence investigation checks, you might be able to do that. Okay. Sweet. Cool. Um, so we are uh, going to throw it to our wonderful segment. I believe we're speaking about some lore that you should know very soon. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go with the bing bongs. We haven't said that in a while. Yeah, we're bing bongs. Bong. Bing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. This is the segment where we jump into 
tiny bits of Dungeons and Dragons lore and uh, talk about it for your enjoyment. And edification, potentially. Exactly. I used to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, edification's a good one, right? Yeah. I know. But I went with enjoyment, another E word. That's perfectly fine. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Chris Bergens. Hello. And today uh, on Lore You Should Know, we're going to talk about the Dead Three. In our dulcet tones. In our dulcet uh, yes. uh, tones. Yeah. So make sure it, it, it contrasts with the evil, maniacal laughter right. of the Dead yes. Three, perhaps. Yes. Um, so the Dead Three are a group of uh, deities. Correct. correct. <laughs> Oddly enough, not so dead deities. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> some, have, some have come back a exactly. few times. As happens in the Forgotten Realms, gods die and come back all the time. And in this case, we're talking about three gods who all got their butts kicked, died, and have come back in new forms. And those gods are Baal, B-H-A-A-L, the god of murder, because I guess you need a god of murder. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't everybody. Bane, the god of tyranny, and Merkel, lord of bones. Mm. Um. Which, which one is the god of murder? Is it Merkel? Uh, Baal is Baal. the god of murder. Oh, he's just the... the- yes, he is, he is the, in some respects, the face of Baldur's Gate. He is the skull that you see on the cover of Baldur's Gate game boxes. Yes. Um, um, and there was an adventure uh, murder in Baldur's Gate. Exactly, yes. play on that as well. Right, we, we did that product as a bridge between 4th and 5th edition. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that they were uh, alive and then dead and then alive again. Um, yeah, they got... They got Basically murdered at the end of the Time of Troubles. Right. And uh, then Sirik, kind of a new upstart god, rose to kind of take the mantle of their power mm-hmm. and become this god of chaos. But, um, and Sirik's still around, being all chaos and stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, the three, as happened uh, after the Spell Plague, many of the gods were reshaped, reformed. Hello, new edition. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Here we are. And here we are. And so uh, Baal, Bane, and Merkel came back. But uh, there, there was sort of this divine edict that came with 5th edition, which is that the gods have stepped away from the world or been forced to step away from the world and leave the world to mortals. Right. And, and Yeah, so cause going back, because now we're getting you know, to modern times, but like... Can you talk a little bit about how these gods were introduced uh, in Ed Greenwood's, uh, you know, and the, and the first products about the Forgotten Realms? Were they yeah. always, you know, as prominent as, as they have been? Well, there are so many gods in the Forgotten Realms um, that it's, it's, like many others on the list, they weren't necessarily prominent in the way that, say, Mistra mm-hmm. is prominent. Um, or the way that uh, Lathander has become more prominent, um, but they, yeah, they they trace their origins back to the earliest editions of the game, and but it really wasn't until the Baldur's Gate video games came out that that Ball really kind of became a superstar <laughs> in a way among deities and became sort of, he became a central figure of that city and right. sort of what Baldur's Gate is all about. Um, yeah, but then, then you mentioned the Time of Troubles, but those were talked about in yeah, those, novels. Exactly, yes. There, there was a, a series of novels that, that really sort of carried that story. Mm-hmm. And then Ed Greenwood released a series uh, with TSR, released a series of three adventures that you could play out the Time of Troubles. Oh, okay. Um, and they were named after cities in which the, uh, the, the Time of Troubles sort of played out. Mm-hmm. One of them was Waterdeep. 
Another one was Tantris. And you could, so you could actually adventure in the world of Forgotten Realms and see gods come down and start smacking each other around. Right, because that was what happened in the time of Troubles. That is essentially... Io yeah. cast them out and, yes. and, and they all made started, them walk around as that's mortals. Right. And that's they could right. be killed. And, exactly. And, and so they went on murder sprees, killing each other off, um, thinning the herd, as it were. Mm-hmm. And among the casualties were these three evil gods. And um, the way that these gods exist now, the, these dead three, just to sort of stay focused on the topic at hand, mm-hmm. is they've basically said, no, we're not going to stay away from the world. Oh. We, we want to keep meddling. And so we're going to keep meddling and we don't care what the rest of you think. Mm. But the penalty for doing so is they are mortals. Okay. They are killable mortal beings. Um, and so you can encounter them still. Currently in the current state of... Yeah, the in the current realm. state of Forgotten Realms, you can encounter them in the flesh, as it were. Mm. Um, so they are not as powerful as gods, but they are much more meddlesome. Understood. And they're still pretty mighty powerful, and they still attract followers. And so there are Baalites and Bainites and Merkelites. Uh, running around the Forgotten Realms like little toadies doing what these three uber-powerful beings want mm-hmm. them to. But yeah, you can, you can find them, corner them, and kill them if you really aim to. Interesting. So let's, uh, let's go through them. So, so Bane, uh, yeah, what, what can you tell me about him? So he's kind of the ringleader of the three. He's the brains of the operation, for lack of a better word. Do they work um, together? Are they in concert? To they... <sighs> So they're all reflective of a different kind of evil. So Bane is the lawful evil one. Mm. So he is the one, with, he's the man with the plan, as it were. The, uh, and, and he's the one kind of corralling the others and saying, hey, if we're going to accomplish our evil goals, then we need to work together. Mm-hmm. And I'll lead, I'll tell you what the plan is, and you, you carry the shotgun, and you carry the money bag, and we'll, we'll figure this out together. Okay. Uh, so um, as the god of tyranny or a representation of tyranny, he knows how to make people do things and get things done. Mm-hmm. And so um, his worshipers are all about forcing their will upon those they consider to be beneath them. And in Baldur's Gate in particular, uh, they're the ones that are kind of leading the, the attacks against whatever. The Bainites. Yeah, the Bainites are. And... Um, that Bane symbol is a black gauntlet, one on the right hand. So often his worshippers have that going for them. A single black gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah one black gauntlet on one hand. Um, and does he have uh, like a base of operations right now? Or not he... that we know of. Okay, um, but uh, much of the Dead Three's activity is currently centered around Baldur's Gate and that sort of middle part of the western heartlands mm-hmm. so that's where you're most likely to feel their influence and what does Bane want what, what, is, what is and you said tyranny so he yeah, just basically he, wants to set up rulership he wants to he wants to be in charge he wants to raise a big throne and sit on it and have everybody subservient to him mm. with little thrones <laughs> one to his left and one to his right for Ball and Merkel <laughs> although honestly Ball and Merkel don't care about that so those Clowns chairs will probably to the left just of me. Empty. right Two, two empty chairs, slightly smaller than his, <laughs> to his left and right, where they can sit if they want to, and they 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 will never do that. But um, that's his that's his plan. 
Are they, uh, is, is Bane paranoid at all since he is, you know, killable so, and, so, and being uh, an avatar right uh, now? Uh, far be it for me to crawl into the headspace of a lawful evil tyrant, but um, as dungeon I, master, I many think, of us have to. Uh, exactly, I think he's his his fatal flaw is his overconfidence in himself and his fans. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't th- I don't think he has m- many doubts that he'll succeed. Got it. I don't think he's considered the scenario of getting killed a second time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not that's not on the plan. <laughs> We're following yeah, the plan this exactly. time. Exactly. Yes. I'm the one in charge. That's Listen right. Listen to me. Yes. Got this is, he's he's got his marketing campaign and he's got his bullet points and he's got mm-hmm. his PowerPoint presentations. Uh, he's got it all sorted out this time. There's no chance of failure. And other than than not killing you, what does being a follower of Bane represent? You know, if you're you, a bully. You're a bully. Yeah. You get to bully people and have somebody above you say, "Good job." Yeah, you're backed up by yeah. by a literal god. So, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 kind of it's at its base level thuggery. Mm. You know, thug mentality. Interesting. Okay. So, if you're, you know, creating low level low level villains that are followers of Bane, like that's mm-hmm. that's a character trait that anybody can use. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And and if, when you meet a Baneite, they're just like they're like thugs with very high opinions of themselves mm-hmm. and they like to lord over their lessers. Do, by, by using the word thug, is it mostly martial type of characters? Yeah, or yeah. Okay. Yeah. They don't, there's not a lot of wizards, not a lot of sorcerers. No, no. In fact, in the Dead Three, if you want magic, you want to talk to the Mercalites. Ah, okay. Um, because while the Bainites are largely fighters, um, in the sort of class sense of the word, yeah. the, they're warriors, armored and yeah. using weapons to beat you into submission. Well, there may be clerics as well, right? right? They, they, at least uh, yes. the Bane, yes, you know, the exactly. They, yes, there, there may be priests of Bane leading them. But even they... But uh, even they are you know, armored weapons bashing you over the head with a morning star mace until you submit to their will. Got it. With their black gauntleted hand. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I got the yeah. image now. All right, it's gross. Uh, exactly. And then so the Mercolites are a little bit more... Uh, the Mercolites are necromancers. Mm. Um their their deity, uh, who again is mortal, is Merkel. He is the Lord. He's called the Lord of Bones because he is about all things dead, mm. uh, uh, skeletons, corpses. He hangs out in graveyards. His lair is probably under a graveyard somewhere, some sort of necropolis, I'd reckon. Yeah, uh, he is completely driven by dead things in all kind of the worst aspects of that um, foul degenerate kind of creature he is and his followers are mostly necromancers or channel necrotic energy in some way Mm -hmm. and they of the dead three um, basically use their magic to uh, desecrate corpses corrupt them and transform them into uh, lesser undead the likes of skeletons and zombies which they can just use as minions uh, you know, you always repurpose the bones if you can get your hands on them. Right. You can be a servant many times. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so is, 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 was Merkel a necromancer uh, on his own? Or, yeah. 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 And then was he, did he get ascended into godhood, that type mm. of thing? Or was, was you know, the, the conception was that he was always a, a god? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to. Um, all right. Uh, I, 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 gosh, that's been a long time since I've been able to stump you like that. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, I yes. just going quickly back through the lore. Uh, last, 
I worked on my first contact with Merkel was back working on Dungeon Magazine issue seventy three, and we did an adventure called Eye of Merkel, ah, and uh, featured his minions extensively. Um, he ascended to godhood alongside Baal and Bane. Um, they were essentially mortal men. Oh, okay. So he probably was a, an yep. actual necromancer who who, who got his comeuppance to yes. uh, to be a god. Yes, he was a human necromancer. Um, so you, you mentioned that he was hanging out in graveyards, and and uh, mm-hmm. do you think warlocks would use Merkel as a as a patron for anything like that? Oh, that's an interesting idea. I I could see that. It, yeah, it could be. It's it's a little bit different because our core warlocks basically focus on either fey or. Um, Archfiend or sort of great old ones. Yeah. But I could imagine in a campaign, Merkel or a fragment of Merkel being essentially a warlock patron. Yeah. And also since he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's a god, but he's got a, yep. a, a different state of being right now. So. Right. And uh, Merkel appears these days as basically a skeleton, mm. an animated skeleton of a man wearing black robes and a black cowl. So his face is kind of hidden and obscured, and his followers kind of mimic his appearance. If they're not dead themselves, they try to look dead. I see. Right. Um, Through makeup and disguise. You're like, look, sometimes, just like yeah. you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, or they'll do weird-ass shit, like tear their faces off and... Ugh. Rip them, flens them through some sort of magic, and so they're living but sort of skeletal in appearance. Gross, very gross. Uh, but I, I like that that image of having a character or, or a uh, adversary that is just hooded and cowled until you get like one glimpse of like, oh wait, that's right. There's a there's a skull face under there. Yeah. So not surprisingly, the Bay Knights like having the Merkelites around because hey, you know, undead minions that we can throw at our enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, till we're blue in the face. That's kind of nice. But otherwise, they're just kind of creepy and weird and kind of leave the Merkelites to their dead things. And, and are they, are they you know, generally more neutral or are they... No, Merkelites tend to be um, on the evil spectrum, neutral evil. Neutral which means evil. Uh, law and chaos don't really concern them. They're basically concerned with their own... Uh, Studies and academics. Exactly, and, yes. And, and, you know, and... The, yes. and, and and they're always on. exactly, and these are always very foul experiments that they're conducting. Interesting. Okay, cool. And then, and then you're right. The the pact being like, okay, I'll be the tyranny. I'll be the leadership. Merkel, you'll be the the person who creates, or your followers will be the ones who create right. our army. Yes, and we'll also use your your spellcasting ability for other things too, artillery, things like that. Got it. Yeah. Um, so then, how does how does Ball fit in? So Ball not surprisingly, is very attractive to assassins. Mm. Um, the god of murder uh, basically has assassins as followers. Rogues, too. Um, but basically, killing is his thing. Painting the streets in blood is Ball's forte. So the, yeah, that's interesting. And, so it's not just the, the, yes. the, the, the being of dead and raising right. of, of creatures like Merkel, and it's not the control and the, and the, right. the cruelty of Bane, but yes. it is the, the act of Taking life away. Exactly. And so not surprisingly, his followers tend to be chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they just want to tear down people, um, tear through people. And civilization? Do they have like yeah. the idea of like ripping um, down order yeah, in a way? Yeah, very much so. They, they abhor any sort of um, societal imposition mm-hmm. on their ability to kill a very survival of the fittest attitude. Barbarians sometimes are drawn to Merkel, or not Merkel, Ball, because of that uh, bloodlust mm. that he 
he seems to crave. As well as that anti-civilization kind of feel. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's kind of a weird, it's a weird combination to have Ball and Baldur's Gate together because um, here you have a sort of a bastion of civilization on the coast and you have this god who's constantly trying to tear that down. Um, but I, for whatever reason, uh, Ballites like to hang out in Baldur's Gate probably because it's a nice killing ground. <laughs> you, can, you can kill people and everybody's so preoccupied with their own lives, they don't seem to care. Interesting. Yeah. There is an apathy in Baldur's Gate that I guess Ball would find appealing. Yeah. And I've heard, and, and you know, I, I apologize if I'm repeating something that I've said before, but like that uh, if you were to map it to, you know, the DC con- Comics universe, Waterdeep would be a metropolis and a much more of a bastion mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of the good in civilization where. Baldur's Gate is the Gotham. Is the yes. the, the, the you know, the, you know always kind of in darkness. A lot of lawlessness happening there. There's people who are fighting for for law in Baldur's Gate, but it feels like it's almost a losing battle. Exactly. Yeah. And Baldur's Gate is known for its thick fogs, and a lot of people travel in escort because you don't want to walk through the fog in that city at right. any time of day. You're likely to get mugged and murdered. Right. Because uh, because the, the ball lights are are there as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, so assassins, you know, uh, how do they, how, how, what are the tools that Bane is going to use these assassins? Is it, is it like sending them out on missions, that type of thing? So with Ball, it's just go forth and murder. Mm. I'll be over here murdering somebody else. Um, they're, they're, I'm not sure Ballites really get any sort of orders. Mm. From their dark lord, they simply call upon Ball to, you know, give them the strength to slash their way through the guts of society. And if he does, great. If he doesn't, great. But all of the dead three, to some extent, can empower, like all gods, even though they're in mortal form and can be killed, they can imbue upon their mortal subjects some measure of their power. Mm. And that's what—that's how we ended up with things like Ball spawn. And mm. Bane spawn and Merkel spawn, these individuals who have been invested with more than just a tiny, tiny fragment of the god's power, but may actually be almost like avatars of these deities. Interesting. And so, what the Ballites hope for is that Ball will just imbue them with a little splinter of power so that they can go out and kill people better. Yeesh. And, um, yeah, and what what does Ball appear like now? With the so he typically takes the form of a skull faced man, usually bare chested, but not always, uh, with tattoos and uh, the two one or two daggers. Mm-hmm. They like up close personal kinds of killing, not the shoot you from a rooftop type of killing. Okay, they want to be in your face when they kill you, so they pretty much use. These curved, both Ball and his followers kind of use these daggers to come in at you and slash you to pieces. Gross. Very gross. Um, so he's like a skull face, but no, otherwise normal flesh, yeah. flesh body. Yeah. What are the tattoos of? Um, his favorite songs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I love you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, mostly they're. Uh, are they just like shapes and, yeah. and, and things like that? They're, they're abstract okay. as, far as, as far as I can know, as, do, as far as I recall. Do, are, are, Mom. Do his <laughs> followers also, you know, yes. tattoo themselves? Yeah, they do. Or, or sometimes they will um, scar themselves. Ooh, yeah, right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense with the dagger yeah. type thing. Yeah. yeah. These people literally have no life. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is all that they're really yeah. good for. Well, that's why they make such horrifying villains. Right, yes. 
And the fact that they're working together means that you can get these sort of combination squads. Uh, if you've got the get the Bainite kind of leading the way, mm-hmm. or in the case of a priest, providing healing when necessary. Then you've got the assassins and scouts who are going out finding victims, dragging them into alleys mm-hmm. to be killed. And then you don't get you don't discard the corpse. You have the Merkelite animate it, and it walks away with you. Yeah, and all of a sudden you got another yeah. party member. Um, that's that's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that'd be a great foil. You know, if you have a, a, a party uh, of your adventurers good aligned, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you stumble upon an evil aligned party. That's, Absolutely. You know, a lot of analogs. It's like that. Um, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the movie Us. Yes. Uh, but yeah. it, it frightens my soul every mm-hmm. time I see it. And now I'm thinking yeah. like, ooh, how great would it be to have like, you know, which, which is a trope you've used in, in Dice Camera Action a couple Absolutely. of times as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And while, while the Dead Three are kind of um, part and parcel with Baldur's Gate, their, their followers can be found anywhere in Faerun, really. Yeah. Either apart or working together toward a common evil. Do you... Uh, other denizens of the Forgotten Realms know that these three gods are back and working, or is it like a boogeyman type story? I think you could, there's no official stand on that. Uh, you could take it either way. Mm. Um, some people in like in clergy, like in temples of other gods, might know that they're around and caution their servants to beware of that. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I think it's probably better known or more likely to be known in somewhere like Baldur's Gate than elsewhere. But you can really play with the idea that the gods aren't, you know, screaming from the hill- hilltops, watch out, these three evil gods are lurking among you. Because, you know, inciting panic is not the, in their portfolio. Um, yeah. But they may have agents working against them to try to take them out. Understood. And that's, I think, part of the reason why it's interesting that despite their power and their morbid fascinations for death and such... Bane, Ball, and Merkel do have to keep a low profile. If they don't, the the, the followers of some other god are going to find them and try to whack them. Yeah, and that, that's what's kind of interesting. It's like they had their, they're, they're exerting more influence in the world because of their presence, but that's a risk. Exactly, yes. It is fascinating, too, though, from a campaign point of view, that you can actually fight these guys and kill them. Right. And, and have the bragging rights. We killed gods. <laughs> For now. Yes. Who knows when, right. when they'll come back. Since We haven't statted them up as mortals in 5th edition. Maybe we'll get around to that at some point. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, but I like even now just having tendrils of their activity yeah. uh, happening in, in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a fun way to, uh, uh, to, to get some world building going on in your, uh, in your campaign. Right. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that the good alliance, well, maybe this is delving too far, but like, you know, how exactly were these gods able to make that choice to, to, to come into the world back again, to, be, to, to have this avatar? Was it just, they just willed it so yeah. and it happened? Yeah. And the other gods smartly listened to Ao and said, okay, yeah, we'll let the mortals have their shot. We'll watch from afar and try not to meddle so much. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if there's another time of troubles, maybe it'll be me who gets killed. Uh, you know, that's always a concern. Uh, so they've withdrawn, but these three are just belligerent. And they um, don't give a f- they, they do not give a f- and, <laughs> and they're uh, messing it all up. Right. And so they are kind of peeing in the pool a little bit and, mm-hmm. and thumbing their noses at authority. And Ao's like, whatever, kids, you know. 
Learn the hard way. I don't care. Right, right. <laughs> well, let's hope that there's some adventuring parties out there that who are willing to teach them teach them a lesson. Teach them a lesson. I hope. I hope there are. Excellent. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, if people have any questions about uh, any of these, uh, by the way, Ball's real name before he became a god was George. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear he hates it when you call him that. Hey, George. Shut up, I'm Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome. That's, right, not, cool. that's not canon, actually. That's not canon. I just made that up. All right. We'll come up with different names. Uh, that, that was his name beforehand. And we yeah. can, you can tweet at, at uh, yeah. where, where can people do that at for you? I am on the Twitters at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Well, alternate names for uh, what ball was named before he died. <laughs> Opening up the floodgates. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. Bye-bye. That was a really good, Lori Chanel. I feel like I, I know a lot more now. Yep. Yeah. You feeling it? Yeah. I think there's there's always uh, good conversations to be had with Mr. Chris Perkins. Always. Yeah. He has a wealth of knowledge. Totally. And it blows my mind it's every time. It's probably good for him to have an outlet for that knowledge. It's not, you know, like just traditional knowledge that you can impart on just everybody. Yeah, right. You can't just meet someone at the grocery store and be like, did you know that... Uh, <laughs> that- <laughs> Um, that lizard folk were first introduced <laughs> in the fiend folio. Blah, blah, blah. You're like, you can't do that. You know, no. I mean, here in Seattle, you, you could, have a larger chance of that being, uh, you know, widely, widely accepted. accepted. But yeah, well, you know what? I'm gonna scratch that. You should do that. Everyone should do that. They should spread the word about lizard folk and all the different D and D lore at the grocery store, in your library, in your daily life. I see. Many you. of you probably already do. I see you checking out that pudding. Did you know in D and D, isn't there like a pudding? Black pudding. Black pudding. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not to be confused with blood pudding, which is a, uh, a dessert from the United Kingdom. Which actually should be reversed. Like blood pudding sounds like it that sounds come more from like a D and D monster. Black pudding is just like oh, like chocolate, dark right. chocolate. Exactly. Uh, I really like how you're, you actually worked it into the food that people are buying. I know. That's smart. Come on. I'm sort of impressed by that, too. Because <laughs> yeah. I would have just been like, oh, you know, let's just talk about it at the, at the, at the line. No, I, 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 went, I went there. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. All right. Everyone, everyone try to strive to be more like Shelly is what I'm trying to say. I haven't even read those Young Adventurer handbooks yet. You're already in. You got it. I'm going to be so smart. We are going to... Uh, Let's talk to Arnie, because I think there's a lot of things we need to ask him about uh, his life, his life choices, how he got to that Burger King. His life choices. His life choices. Uh, yeah, how he got to that yes. Burger King in, in, in the Chicago area and uh, fell into the magical land of Foon for yes. his podcast. So I can't wait. Okay. I have a third person here. Well, awkward. Arnie Niekamp. Hello. Hey! Hi! Look, it doesn't have to be awkward. We can make it work with the three of us. Okay. Okay, perfect. Said, said the Third guy in, in front Tito. of a toilet paper drone and an upside-down forehead man. Full stream? Yeah, the latest You Don't Know Jack game that I worked on, the uh, subtitle was, is You Don't Know Jack full stream? It's sort of like... It, the premise is that it's on a new kind of streaming service like Netflix competitor. <laughs> the problem uh, is with, with your head the where it was, is it was like, is it say oh full? God. It says full ream, I think. Yeah, uh, which full, is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. I will let 
I will let the listener fill in the, the rest of that. <laughs> As we should. Full stream is actually a very clever name. I know. Yeah. It is. It's good stuff. Uh, so, Part of what we wanted to do with that, uh, and I know we don't really need to talk about you know Jack that long, but... Uh, no, I want to. It's good really stuff. Really just the idea of like a stre- like someone trying to do an up-and-coming streaming service and just making these small but really significant mistakes with their marketing. Like, <laughs> So they're just sort of like... Full stream, yeah, that seems like a great uh, uh, slogan for our streaming service, not realizing that it sounds a little bit like P. Yeah, I went there. <laughs> uh, so, so many people listening may know you from uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is an amazingly fun and uh, funny podcast. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but now, I mean, I, well, let, let's talk a little bit about what your, your role is at, uh, at, you don't know, Jack, cause day that's, job. that's fascinating as, as a fellow game company, this makes sense. Yeah. You know, I work for Jackbox games and I've been here for over a decade and we make, Whoa. uh, our, yeah, I know a long time you turn, you, you, you lift your head up one day and you're like, Oh wait, hold on. Yeah. I've been here a long time. That's my like- life. Where's my, uh, <laughs> But uh, it's very exciting, you know, you know, working in games, working in kind of like collaborative games or what could be considered party games uh, is really a lot of fun. So we do, you know, Jack is like our classic like trivia game, uh, but we also do a lot of games that people can play, you know, like uh, Quiplash where people are just like typing jokes on their phone and they show up on the screen and they, you know, everybody votes on what's the funniest. Drawful, which is a very... Uh, like sort of a very weird, like sort of like if, if Pictionary just kept getting weirder and weirder as it went along. It does. Um, it definitely It usually does. does. Yeah. Inspired yeah, by, by real uh, uh, Pictionary yep. games, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm a, I got, you know, my role has changed over the years, but I, I'm mostly like a game designer, sometimes director. I do a lot of writing. Uh, so like I directed Drawful. Uh, I directed Trivia Murder Party, which is a, a trivia game hosted by a serial killer uh, <laughs> who doesn't read like he's a serial. He really is a serial killer, but he's also just sort of like it's really like if a, someone on YouTube that was just sort of like I'm like a someone trying to be a YouTube influencer, but they also just happen to be a serial killer, and they just they're they don't realize that like it's a little weird that they're serial killing tendencies are creeping into uh, the show that they're trying to house. Well, I mean, you got to have a side hustle. You can't serial kill all the time. It's true. It's true. I mean, yeah. it doesn't pay the bills. So <laughs> so what does it mean, though, to be a director on a video game? That's a very good question. And honestly, it, I think it really changes from place to place. We're kind of a little, we're kind of our own weird little thing. Uh, so directing here usually means you're just kind of like running the, sh- you know, sort of like running the game, basically. Like it's usually uh, it's often also someone that's leading up game design, uh, a fair amount of like editorial. And, you know, also since it's usually small teams, a good amount of like project management as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically just like taking a small team, uh, helping, you know, with like a team of anywhere from like, five to 10 people making a party game in a couple of months. And, uh, and we release five new games every year uh, wow. with a shockingly small team. So it's kind of everybody does a little bit of everything. That's that crazy. Fun. It actually reminds me a lot of what the, the D&D and oh, Avalon Hill kind of theme is all about, right? Yeah. Yeah, because Dungeon Mayhem, well, it wasn't four or five months, as you're saying, for some of your games. It but was, It actually. was. Was it in four yeah. or five months? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't count the time, it actually was at the printer. But right. I think from I, the second... 
that we played it to the second it went off to the printer. That was only Feb- that was like February to June. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess your role might be I'm game director. Like thinking I might want to change my title. Yeah, I think you should <laughs> director. Yeah, because you didn't design it, but you definitely like were the project manager of getting uh, all the I artwork with and, the design team. Yeah. Did the playtesting, all that stuff. As Nathan well might as, have an issue if I change my title to director. I, let's say, let's just do like it. We're just going to do it. Title? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Arnie would agree. Okay. If Arnie says. You, I, you definitely put my name, I co-sign it. <laughs> all right. Love it. Um, so were you always a, a, a gamer? Did you always play, uh, uh, you know, games like Dungeons and Dragons or, or anything else? Party games? Yeah, I, I've always loved games. Um, you know, uh, I... Especially like I, I'm not really a particularly competitive person, uh, so I always really like games where it's like either collaborative, uh, or you know the the enjoyment is less wrapped up in like winning or losing and mm-hmm. more on sort of the weird uh, fun you have along the way. Um, I played a, a fair amount of uh, Dungeons and Dragons when I was little. I was kind of one of those kids you know you know i'm a, a bit older uh so but when i was a kid you know i remember the classic like red advanced dungeons and dragons manual like the one that i feel like you, you not like the like if you're watching freaks and geeks not like the old hand like crudely hand-drawn monster manual era but kind of right after that the red box the yeah that, that 1984-ish type uh, yeah. uh, era yeah uh, and, you know, it was a time when it was, like, harder to find the cool things that you wanted to do, like music, books, TV, anything. So you just kind of had to, if you found somebody that was into something cool, you had to really latch onto that person and be like, look. And honestly, I played Dungeons & Dragons with a kid on my street that I kind of didn't like. <laughs> like <laughs> he was, he, you know, nothing against him, but he, I was just sort of like, Ah, he's all right, but you know what? He's he plays. He, like, he likes Dungeons and Dragons, so I'm going to go play with him, and uh, uh, and and that was great. And it's so it's it's crazy now, just how uh, how much it's evolved since then. And um, and I don't get to play. I haven't like really like dove in and played as much in a long time. Or, or when I do, I'm that kind of like what some people might find annoying that kind of like dilettante player that's just kind of there to have fun and and if i mess up the rules uh you know you know someone will will explain to me uh what i've gotten wrong but it's a big it's a big tent so a lot of you know a lot of different people can come come in and play and have have fun at different skill levels it seems like yeah and i think that you know the that type of player that you're describing you know maybe at one time you know might have been a, a you know get an eye roll or two but i think more and more folks at the table are excited to have people like that who are you know drop in kind of understand the basic mm-hmm. frameworks of the game and everyone's there to help with the rules and make yeah. sure it all uh you know feels like it's uh, everyone's having the same kind of balanced fun that's that's happening there but you know i think the with the rise of streaming and and you know podcasting and things like that people are just like oh yeah no it's like the, the get to the fun parts it should be fun yeah yes. exactly yeah agreed it's good i mean that's what i like i like like playing any game any complicated like tabletop game or something i it's always good it's always good to have that friend that's like all right i'll read the instruction yes. oh yes and then everyone, I mean, the, the, every look, every game I play, I kind of turn someone into the dungeon master. Someone is the person yeah. that is running the game. Uh, and that's that's sort of my, 
probably uh, not a good that that's my philosophy on a lot of life. Just find someone around you, make them the dungeon master, have them figure out what you're supposed to do. Like the kid in your neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, you're like, oh, yeah, he's it, his superpower is reading the rules and understanding them and orchestrating the game for me. And he got a lot out of it, too, because maybe he was an annoying kid, that, but he ended up having a cool friend because of D&D. No. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to be honest. Maybe he, he it's it's probably a draw which of us was cooler. Like, <laughs> you he, both he got something. Felt, he might have felt exactly the same way. Like, ah, I don't like that Arnie guy, but you know what? He'll play Dungeons and Dragons. With it's me. the bridge. It's the bridge to friendship. It is exactly. <laughs> what uh, do you remember? What that sessions or what those sessions were like when you when you played with him? You know, we were pretty young, and also again, like you just didn't have much to like draw on, you know, like you kind of read the book and you take it very literally. Mm -hmm. Um, It sort of reminds me a lot of like beginning, like I do a lot of improv stuff. Like you said, with my, I have an improv podcast. Reminds me a lot of like when you're first taking your first steps into improv, the improv comedy world or trying to understand it by just reading like uh, some of the older like improv books of like exercises and you take it all very literally and like you have to do it step by step by step uh and until you can kind of see another game or play with someone that really has sort of played for a while uh or until you know obviously like the books have gotten a lot better like a lot richer uh when we played it was almost like we were almost just playing like a crude walk around a map what's in this room this is the thing it says that is in this room what's in this room uh, because we didn't know, you know, we we hadn't we didn't have anything to base it off of besides like, you know, thinking of it almost like a like an old Atari game where you're wandering from room to room. Yeah, uh, find loot. That's so funny because I I had an experience recently where I've been playing with people who hadn't played since that era either. And uh, he brought in all of his old modules uh, to show off and be like, oh, yeah, these are these, you know, this was Hidden Shrine of Tomochan and all these things that he just happened to have. Uh, and I, you know, geeked out over them and, and was super excited about them. And then someone else asked him, be like, oh, who is, who is the dungeon master in your group when you played like that? And he was like, oh, we kind of traded off, you know. And he was like, oh, were there any, like, really good ones? And he's like, I mean, all you really needed to do was read. Like you just read what was in the next room and you did it and there was none of the, the kind of characterization and, yeah. and stuff that is, um, you know, really popular in, in how to play now. And I was really taken aback. I'm like, really? Like, no, you just – and then they treated it the same way that you're talking about. It was just you, you go from room to room and you kill the monsters and that's, that's about it. Um, and it was not, and not a, a, a storytelling device or an improv device like, um, like we use it now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so cool that there are so many places that you can go to listen to people's games, to yeah. watch people's games, like either just to like enjoy it as entertainment, but also like I think every game you watch like opens up more doors in your own head of like, oh, that's a way I can engage with this game or it doesn't have to be this or even just seeing, you know, someone enjoying it and really bringing to the game who they are and how much that like changes what the game is like how how each person like who you are and how you play that that that's what the game is that's what makes the game yeah yeah that's true um so uh so when did you start doing comedy improv stuff you know i uh i went to grad school for creative writing and uh had a little bit more free time on my hands when i was supposed to be writing you know like the great american novel and i basically just fell in with like 
a college improv group, uh, which I always refer to as like a bad college improv group. And I don't mean that to like be insulting only in the way that like, at least maybe in that time period. What was the name? What was the name? That's how you can really gauge the, the, the quality of the improv group. Brace yourself. It's called, (laughs) it was called comedy corner. Oh, (laughs) not even a pun. I know. So it's like like a, it's club maybe, but yeah, I think it was actually, I mean, uh, it was a legacy name. Like it, Mm. I guess it had been around for a long time, like before the concept of funny names existed. I thought Uh, you were going to say when you said brace yourself, I thought that was the name. And I was like, that's not bad. <laughs> no, but no. Yeah, that's actually right. Yeah. Yeah. Brace yourself. Comedy. Comedy coming at you. <laughs> we were called Brace Yourself. It was a group of, we were all chiropractors. And we, <laughs> or orthodontists. Oh, I thought they were all, all going to be like Eminem, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, impersonators. Brace yourself. Oh, in the well, we, all, I don't know. Went, we all went somewhere different. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's the beauty of improv. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that's interesting. So you, and, you know, so instead of you know getting it down on paper, you were being creative in the moment. Uh, and, and was this in Chicago? Yeah. Uh, this was in Arizona, actually. Oh, no way. Uh, Tucson. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's like writing is very lonely, you know? And I think it was, I realized that even though, you know, it wasn't always the funniest thing in the world, it was just what I was looking for. I was looking for community. I was looking for creating something collaboratively Mm -hmm. in the moment. And it was just so much, it was just so fun to, and to kind of just throw yourself off of the cliff of like not knowing what was going to happen next. And, you know, being with other people while you're creating it and also getting that immediate feedback from the audience instead of like, you know, writing a, a really long story. And then later at best getting someone being like, yeah, that was good. Like, even if someone is really excited, it's like, okay, well, great. But it's hard to compete with like a laughing audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I had that similar experience as a, as a playwright and, and writing of stuff where it's like you spent, you know, you up until two or three in the morning getting something done and you're like, oh God, I can't wait. And then someone reads it and they're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Or you uh, don't know. Maybe, maybe change all this. And uh, also the whole premise is bad, but you know, yeah, it's good. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you no, don't really get cool. that like that like adulation that you get from from a from a live audience. Well, you guys are mis- like the scary part to me about improv is what you're both saying you love about it is that immediate reaction because my biggest fear is that that immediate reaction is not a good one. Scary. It can be can be quite bracingly bad. I mean, there's no question. Brace yourself. <laughs> Brace yourself. <laughs> oh, that's what that. Oh, okay, now it all makes sense. Uh, yeah, and it's. I don't know why. I mean, I think for me, the thing that is scariest is having that permission, feeling like you have that permission to be on that stage, and then when you're on that stage, it's scary, but it's not as scary. And uh, I don't know. I think that was just something I was always looking for. And I think that's also mm. kind of why um, – I think that's also why, like, I don't, know, it, I don't know if it's hokey that I keep in my mind bringing it back to Dungeons and Dragons. No, but I, like, I went – I was doing that too. Yeah, I think it's – that's also part of what's, like, really great about playing role-playing games is it gives you a permission to play these roles, you know, to, to act yeah. out these things to be something other than yourself and put yourself out there. And I think most people want that and, you know, and they even have that bravery. They just need like that excuse to kind of get onto the quote unquote stage of the story. And I think there is also like the, in general, like 
when I feel like an improv audience is kind of already set up to enjoy it and laugh and like they're not there to be like they're not they're not there generally to heckle you. That's always been my experience as an audience member for improv. Never have done it myself. Right, people people go over there with want the, you to they succeed. want yeah exactly they, want, they want to laugh to, they want to have a good time and if in the same with D and D is you know you have like you said like you have permission to play these roles but you also have like the support of the other people on stage with you like you would in a D&D game and you're kind of taking turns setting people up and letting them, you know, have that really funny punchline and vice versa and kind of like D&D. So, yes. Absolutely. I mean, just I've never been brave enough to do like much solo performing because that seems what's truly scary. Yeah, that's scary too. Just you. But when you have a group of people and you have your, you know, your fellowship so to speak, like you're all there together, you know, like if I don't have something funny, someone else will. Or if I'm really like, if I'm really flaming out in the scene, uh, running out of things and about to crash, like someone can either just edit it and be like, this has to be over. Right. Move, like, on. <laughs> move on. New scene. Or I can kind of come in and, and make it great. You know, it's like you have a bunch of minds <laughs> together are funnier and smarter and more interesting than just one. Yeah. Yeah. The solo stuff is is very hard, I, you know, as, as for that reason because there's, it's just that relationship with you and the audience. And if that goes sour, yeah. it can very quickly be like. And then I've done I've done the self editing thing on my own. And instead of having someone else come in and be like, "All right, we're done," I'm like, "Okay, no, this set is over. Goodbye, thank yeah. you." Oh, I just <laughs> got a phone call. And oddly enough, you get the biggest the biggest call. reaction when you're bombing and you get off the stage. People are like, "Yeah, yeah, like, get oh. off the stage." You're like at least I got something. I got, I got meaner some audience. applause. That like way. a lot of times, those the comedy club like the ones that are there to watch a solo performer yeah like there's often that feeling of like you better be funny make me laugh man uh, there's that a, mix there of. there can be that 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 jerk that's in the in the room that does that but in general it's similar to the improv audiences where people want to laugh and they they're do, also you but know, they're also like they're they paid to see people and, come and up on stage it, and do that they better start laughing sure but then they also know you. that they're gonna turn on you at least the shows that I did, there was always another person who's going to come up and, and hopefully, you know, shift the the tone and things yeah. like that. So yeah. people weren't ever like too well. I'm not combative. I never, I'm I luckily never had a heckler or anything like that. So I, I wasn't really I hate them. equipped. But then I had people who were extremely skilled at that and actually made that part of their act to a certain extent. I was like, oh gosh, to I, interact that's, with that seems hecklers? crazy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there, uh, what can be great about that is that it's the, you're, you're in a very, like, suddenly you're in a very present moment, a surprising moment. And like there, you know, the part of me that loves improv is a part of me that loves when you see a stand up having to deal with something that like kicks them out of their routine. Mm. Uh, but you certainly don't want to encourage people to heckle to get you to that place. Right. Um, but I will say though, some of my most cherished improv, like live improv memories, are when something crazy happened. Like probably the one of the best shows I ever did, like in a smallish theater, was one where, like halfway through, someone ran across the front of the stage because the place was packed and there was no way to kind of get through. Like people's feet were essentially on the front of the stage. Someone ran from the bar across the front of the stage with their hands over their mouth, <gasps> vomit no. like spewing out between oh. their fingers onto the stage, just leaving like a trail of vomit all the way across. That's my worst thing. Uh, and we're like in the middle of doing some scene and it literally like everyone in the whole place is like, what just happened? <laughs> and we kind of, ever someone made a joke and, and we we're like, all right. And we basically just kind of like kept our sense of confidence. Like we acknowledged that it happened. We didn't just keep 
doing some scene like in a fake park stepping in vomit. It's <laughs> like, okay, hey, everybody, we just saw that. Uh, let's quickly get someone to clean that up. And we, you know, that you got it mopped up pretty quickly. And then we kind of went on and we did some scenes like, I think the scene maybe took place in a Walmart. So then from then on, whenever we did a scene that took place in a Walmart, someone pretended to come through vomiting. <laughs> but even, beside, even totally aside from any of jokes specifically about what we had just seen, at that point, the entire audience was like so in on the show because everyone was just like, we just saw something crazy and we are so excited like for anything that happens after that. And I have never uh, since then, even like after having like some level of success or I've gotten to play for much bigger audiences, that is probably the most like enthusiastic and electric audience I've ever performed for. And it was just because someone threw up on the stage. (laughs) And you couldn't have planned it. If you tried to no. do that now, you're like, all right, I'm going to pay you know. to get really drunk and throw up across the thing. It would probably it would be feel not real. And not, oh, know, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, my, the flip side story, I have that, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, just going on and on. No, do it. Stories. No, we like it. Like, I lo- like, that's the thing. You want something spontaneous to happen, but you can't force it. And honestly, and you shouldn't, like, try too hard to invite it in. Uh, I remember doing a terrible improv show, like, in a bar, that that was not equipped to even have shows like it was really <laughs> depressing and uh there were like we're on stage we were once again like standing right next to the bathroom pretty much and uh you know you know when you're doing it i don't know if people aren't as, as familiar with like live improv like oftentimes some of the cast is like standing on the side of the stage kind of wait they're not like in the show but they're waiting to go in yeah and someone, someone very drunk kind of came up to me and he said uh hey can I get in there? And, and I thought he meant the bathroom because they're standing right next to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, go, just go. You can go in the bathroom. We're, I know we're in front of it. I'm sorry. And he's like, no, can I get into the show? He's like, uh, I just want to be a dog. I'll just sniff around a little bit. What? I was like, I was like no, no. I said no. Uh, <laughs> and afterwards, when I told the rest of the cast, they were like, you should have let him in. I was like, no. No. You know what? If he if he just like makes a beeline and does that, you just like work with it, and maybe something great happens. But you don't like you also you don't just invite it in willy nilly because it could go bad. I and I've learned, you know, his his fault was asking for permission. Right. He should have been asking for forgiveness <laughs> afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's also what you just said so is great advice for a dungeon master. Mm. Absolutely. When like don't like let you know try to keep keep the integrity of what you're doing, but also keep the door open to something great happening and yeah. really rolling with and it. And don't try too hard to force something that might not be right. Just exactly. It. Yeah. It's a lot of it is listening, it seems like, to me. Like uh, That's what a lot of improv is, is really just listening and and honestly taking in what's happening and, yeah. and, and, and going with that. And it seems like a, a lot of what makes a good dungeon master, like there are a lot, obviously, there are a lot of things that make a good dungeon master. But one of the things that I really value is someone that is really listening to what the players are doing and what is happening and kind of really like incorporating and weaving in those things instead of being like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that to be part of the story or not because you don't like it, but just sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't planning on uh, this to happen. So let's not go down that path. Uh, I think really sort of rolling with that stuff is really 
Yeah. And also one of the things I, th- I honestly, you know, this is like a half-baked theory of mine, but I really think that like the something about the dice is what makes Dungeons and Dragons so great. I'm realizing this is like, <laughs> I'm posing this as like a really <laughs> smart theory. And I'm like, guys, I don't know if you thought about it. <laughs> But the dice are important. (laughs) But but like just the level of spontaneity that that like brings into the game is so great. Well, it's unpredictability. I think that it's really important and it allows not just the players to improvise, but the dungeon master to have to improvise so that it becomes this moment. I mean, I always equate it to if we're in, in, you know, speaking of the, the, the comedy improv kind of thing, it's like that. Oh, give us an idea from the audience type thing where you get like you know, a random mm. thought that nobody on stage had thought of before nobody in the audience had thought of before except for this one person and then it's like all right everything kind of builds from that spontaneous moment right and the mm. dice serve that same purpose i think where like everybody's got their frameworks and you know what they might bring to the table but no one knows what you know are you going to get a 20 are you going to yeah. get a one you're going to get somewhere in between and it's that element that brings like that i don't know that you're right makes it makes it different than other just like story games yeah. And also, like, I think the human, like, people are so, like, naturally tend to make, like, binary choices, right? Where it's sort of like, what happened? Was it good or was it bad? But then the dice can have, like, a, all these, like, Spectrum. in between of that can kind of, like, be not what you expect that I think is really interesting. I thought I, I had recently played in a game that Satine Phoenix DM'd. Yeah. And she has this, this really, I'm sure other DMs do it, but I've never played in a game with this, that if you roll a one on an attack, then she then will tell you, she makes you roll damage. <laughs> and she is like, now I'm going to tell you how you just hit yourself, basically. So then she gets like this little chance to like come up with like some funny little ditty, like you were about to fire your your bow and like it got stuck in a, a cobweb and like flung, in your flung face. back at you or whatever. Yeah. And then you, t- you take damage from it. <laughs> so I thought that was like, that was like, very clever. Yeah, it's cute. And just another way to, you know. To mix it up, too. And I like how different dungeon masters have different kind of, yeah. you know, not necessarily crutches, but things that they lean on to be like, oh, this is my yeah. stick. And this I, is how I, I, don't, do it. I don't want to take damage, but <laughs> I kind of appreciate it. Like, yeah, actually, that probably That's is pretty what funny. happened. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So I feel like we've been dancing. Well, oh, well, I was going to say, as someone who, like, loves, like, story and just weird things happening along the way more than, like, actually winning, like, man, I think low bad rolls are such a gift, right? Like that's yeah. where the really fun stuff happens. Like if you go into the game and you're just like, everything goes as planned, it's it's not as fun. It's kind of where the weird places where things go wrong and what happens from there that I think is where the really fun stuff happens. And, and I don't know, uh, maybe it sounded like you were about to segue into talking about my podcast. So my podcast is almost like the whole premise of it is like, it's all low. We should just call it all bad rolls. Like it's just <laughs> bad decisions. Everything we try to do to make things better usually ends up like messing up in some weird way and just constantly dealing with the consequences of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what I was going to say was like, we've been dancing around all these topics that are very specifically kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, born true with hello from the magic tavern. It really is like, you know, it brings in all of what we're talking about here. So, uh, for those folks who might not know, what what was your what would give you your your elevator pitch from for for what the podcast is? Actually, it's basically what your intro is every every, every week. Right. But yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, I basically play myself. It's an entirely improvised 
uh, comedy chat show fantasy epic. Uh, and the idea is, you know, I play my uh, a fiction. I need to be careful to say a very fictionalized version of myself. Uh, who fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into a magical land, uh, luckily realized that he was still getting a slight Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King through the dimensional rift, uh, and he decided uh, to start host a podcast in the tavern, uh, interviewing adventurers and wizards and monsters. Uh, and to me, like, the idea behind it is, like, what if a person had this spectacular thing happened to them where they're suddenly in this magical land. But instead of going off and having a grand adventure and saving the world, they were like, you know what? This is finally my opportunity. This is really to start a podcast. I think people <laughs> are really going to like this content. Uh, and, <laughs> and, it, uh, and it really has kind of spiraled out from there uh, up to about 200 episodes. Um, and I think one of the central, uh, like, um, tricks of the show that people really like uh, that is also a very like I think analogous to Dungeons and Dragons is that everything is canon like everything is part of the story and it keeps on going uh, and that is can be a dangerous uh, thing to place on ourselves because you know we're improvising and just making up silly and dumb things in the moment but then we force ourselves to live with the consequences of those dumb jokes forever <laughs> We're collaboratively building this world. And, uh, you know, if if I'm trying to think of like a good family friendly example to give. But, you know, any, uh, this one's not too bad. Like, you know, if wizards have two buttholes, <laughs> that's just the way it is. That's just a fact of that world. <laughs> Who, and it was was it Matt Young as as Usador who 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 first just said that as a throwaway joke and you're like well it's canon now <laughs> oh, oh absolutely I mean we've also you know uh, also like one of the reasons we wanted to do it as like a real human in a uh, like a person from Earth in a magical world uh, with like really making it also about physically trying to operate a podcast in this world uh, and so like that allows us to have emails back and forth so you know people email uh, the show and we read the emails and like the, my co-hosts uh, a, a wizard and a talking badger like misunderstand things from the emails and and sometimes those emails become huge parts of the story like yeah. someone had like a weird like the grammar of one of their sentences was strange and they're like talking about uh, the character Usador or the wizard saying uh, can the wizard do this and and they immediately jumped on it and they were like, can the wizard? Oh, can the wizard is not my favorite wizard. And that just turned into <laughs> a character named Can the Yellow, uh, who's just this another wizard in the world that is actually like a big part of the story. So someone's e someone's like random email turned into like a huge, huge plot thread on the show. That's super fun. And it sounds like, you know, you're doing that role as the the listening dungeon master for everything yeah. obviously you're, you're cracking jokes just like just like everyone else is when you see the opportunity but like you're the, the you're the canon you know that's being reflected out by being like oh and, and and it's a great literary trope too of having someone who's ignorant about what's happening in the world and then they have to tell you and then that means you know you can just get so much uh conversation and things happening from there too so it it has a lot of analogs to D D, and then of course you you Bringing a lot of fantasy tropes that also are all there from from uh, from D and D as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it comes from like a sincere love of fantasy and uh, a sincere love of the things that are great about it and the things that sometimes are really silly and dumb. Like, you know, we equally love both of those things. And so <laughs> it's fun to kind of like make fun of weird things and, and subvert some things that we think are cliches that don't make sense, but then also really take advantage of like cool uh, tropes and characters and types of creatures. How did it get started? How did you how did you uh, pitch this, or, or, or how did it come about? Uh, I performed in Chicago in a show for about ten years with my co-hosts, uh, and I had had a couple podcasts that were like had some small amount of success around Chicago, at least, uh, but no, no, never that much. And then I just had this idea of like a chat show that story just kind of started to seep into it and, and become more and more of a thing and sort of accumulated. Uh, and also, I just knew that, like, you know, in improv, like when you're taking early improv workshops or taking or just like rehearsing with your like group for the first time, doing like improvised interviews is actually a great form. Like it gives you a lot of support uh, because you can kind of do a lot. They're, they're like these very clear barriers, but you can kind of do a lot within that. And right. also as an interviewer, you can do a lot like uh, within improvised interviews because it's, it makes it very easy for you to naturally like give traits uh, to the characters you're interviewing by like the questions that you ask them. And it's actually like, it, it's not as scary as like we were saying before, like getting up on stage. Like if you're improvising something and anything, you could like suddenly jump around and run around and, reality can change at every second that can be a lot that can be intimidating and all, for a performer and sometimes for listeners like they're not quite ready to follow you with all of that stuff right away mm. but an interview an interview is something that people get right away and so you can kind of then be very very weird within that structure um and so i was thinking about that and you know i basically uh I, you know, pitched the idea to uh, my friend Adel, who plays uh, the Talking Badger, not even really thinking we would do it, more just the kind of like, you know, when you sometimes you have ideas you think are clever, and you're like, I don't, I'm probably not going to do that, but I can't I gotta tell somebody about it. Like, I have to... <laughs> I like, I have to get that validation of like, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty funny idea. Just like the writing classes of your, right? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. you did it. Yeah. You, uh, you had it that idea. But he was immediately like, we got to do that. That is great. Uh, and it just happened to coincide with uh, me, you know, chatting with some other people in the Chicago gaming community and, uh, you know, realizing that there was a studio that we could use at the new Cards Against Humanity building. Mm. Uh, and I sort of pitched the idea uh, to Max Temkin of Cards. And he later told me, yeah, I pretty much pitched it to him as I explained it to you. Uh, and he told me later, he was like, when you told me, I thought it was either going to be the best thing ever or the stupidest thing ever. And he was right on both counts. <laughs> uh, so we just kind of lucked out that we were able to have a studio that made it sound good, you mm. know, because that's very, you know, it's at least it's very important, you know, and I'm saying that as someone currently in a room where the sound is not very good. So I'm sorry. Well, Ryan appreciates you saying that to make sure that we sound Good. Right. And Ryan actually was here when you did your uh, uh, episode with uh, Chris Perkins. You did it in this very room where we are yeah. now. At that, yeah, that very table. It was so, so fun. Chris Perkins was so funny and so like game kind of to do anything uh, and so committed, uh, like, you know, uh, 
I, I it's it's pretty good jump on episode too. If you have, you know, people can listen to. It's fun to listen to our podcast from the beginning and get all the things as they build. But you can also usually just kind of jump in. Yeah. And the one he did uh, a couple months ago, where he played a Motron, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, that we eventually started calling named Wee Woo, uh, was so funny. Like it was so weird, and we, you know, he surprised us. And we like threw all kinds of dumb things at him that he like he he rolled with with all the dumb jokes and somehow elevated them to still some somehow be like smart versions of those dumb. dumb. <laughs> That's his superpower. Uh, it really yeah. is. Yeah, he's from doing acquisitions, incorporated and things like that. But there's a, there's a you know a large dumb joke to smart joke ratio. But he always mm-hmm. elevates it. Yeah, yeah. a lot of improv. In yeah, that. my favorite bit in that was when uh, I don't want to you know give spoilers, but his voice changes uh, in the middle of it, and I remember listening to that in the car uh, driving to work here and just laughing out loud because I was like, oh, yes, that's that's exactly what would happen. And it uh, it was it was the perfect kind of turn uh, in the middle there. Well, my favorite thing about it was like he, he, you know, what we do with our guests is we usually have them pitch like maybe three ide- ideas over email, just very simple, like a sentence. Like we don't need to know like the whole we don't like it's fun to discover it in the room, yeah. but just like so we know like like oh okay well we've already done something like that or or I don't know we're we're, we're planning on or we've done too many wizards or something like that uh, so he he you know uh, we knew loosely what he was going to be uh, but then in the room it was so funny like he was at first he had no language like he was a you know part organic part computer uh, creature that was just like saying chirping words back at us as it was trying to learn language, you know, in this, in what I, you know, is probably a very like smart, like uh, dungeon master type thing, almost as like a, like a puzzle, right. For yeah. the player to solve, like, how do we get this being enough language? Uh, but it was very funny. Like in the room is we're sort of like uh, doing the show, like, and this goes on for a few minutes. And I think in the back of our heads, we're like, is, is, is it is it gonna be this the whole time? <laughs> yeah, right. Can we can we sustain this joke for for an hour? Uh, are we gonna be like everybody tune into our Chris Perkins episode and it's just sort of like beep? <laughs> it's like if they tune into Dragon Talk and it was just uh, Shelly's Shelley's voices Banana. or bananas coming out of her butts <laughs> or two buttholes since two we are, buttholes, we're, wizards. we're wizards. <laughs> One is for where the bananas come out. It's canon. Exactly. This is now Dragon Talk where canon. You, where do you think bananas come from? <laughs> wizards buttholes. Exactly. That's how they were invented. Yep. I love it. Um, so, how did you come up with the uh, with the idea for Foon uh, as a whole, or is it just something you said in the first episode when you recorded it and it? Was canon from then, and or what? Uh, the world itself. I mean, I think we just wanted to be this idea of just like a big, almost like cliched, but not in a bad way. Sort of like starting with an idea of like it's fantasy. It's a fantasy land. Uh, there is like a a looming threat from a, the Dark Lord, uh, and there are a few kingdoms and things, and you know, there's a tavern on the Traveler's Road. Uh, but we kind of wanted to leave it open enough that it could encompass kind of any and all fantasy cliches, you know? So if we wanted to do an episode that's like, let's really kind of pull some of the things that we think are funny from like, say, Legend of Zelda and have a character who's like a little imp 
that uh, poops coins into jars all the time. And that's where all the money comes from. Uh, you know, or we want to pull things from Game of Thrones and, you know, like have like instead of like a Joffrey character, we have like a like a, a princess who just is angry and, and, and dangerous and wants to kill her whole family. Um, and, and, you know, and, and sometimes just pulling from fairy tale stuff, you know, and just so a world that can just as much have high fantasy and low fantasy. And like, um, so that was basically that. As for the name, I just tried to think of like simple to say fantasy sounding things. And I think a Foon, I don't remember even how I came up with Foon, but we did have that before we started. That's funny that you said that because that was going to be my question is that every now and again, something is so appropriately named that I feel like there's got to be a story behind that because when you just hear Foon, I feel like I already know. I already know. Yeah, because it's got like a, like even though it doesn't sound anything like Narnia, it's got that feeling of like childlike. Yes, and like not serious. Not serious, but also alien and strange and and fantastical. Yes. Yeah. So Mm. it was a perfect happenstance somehow that in. It worked. It could have gone either way, as Max Temkin said. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'll take it. I think for a second I wanted to do something like Twool or something. Like, you know, that kind of, that kind of like. Almost hard to say, kind of like TW sort of uh, yeah. with lots of apostrophes and X's. Yeah, but then, uh, but then I decided uh, no, let's make it simpler on ourselves. We did go through a long run of episodes where all of our guests had character names that were like impossible to spell or <laughs> spell them. And boy, I whenever it's like I need to tweet about one of those characters coming back, I'm like. Ah, how do you spell Jen Levia in the weird specific way that uh, the characters said they spell their name? <laughs> and you got to go back and listen yeah. and like get all the letters that were just improvised in a random order. Of course. Yeah. They, the character has a specific way. Of course. So where do you, who are the guests that you usually or that you have? How do you choose who's going to be on the show and what role they're going to play? A lot of it, uh, you know, from the very beginning, a lot of it is just pulling from uh, people we know in the Chicago improv community. Uh, we were very blessed to have like a lot of really amazing performers here. Uh, and, you know, we've been around for a long time, so we knew a lot of people. So to start, it was just we sort of began by just bringing in people that we had performed with that we just knew were really funny. Um, and, and sort of the main thing we would think about about who to bring in was sort of just trying to make sure we had a variety of energies almost you know so it would be sort of like well you know that last episode was very heady or was very like was sort of like a very thinky uh like satirical take on something in fantasy let's just have someone we know that has just like a big funny energy and uh you know and then they come on and just take like play like a drunken uh flower like an angry drunken flower <laughs> you know? So then after that, you, so you just kind of are always trying to like find a balance of, of things like that. Or you're sort of like, you know, we haven't really dug deep into some good like fantasy cliches in a while. Let's sort of bring in someone that's really, really into fantasy. Or, you know, let's bring in a really like a really good actor and sort of see uh, what they're going to do. So mm. we, that's sort of how we do a lot of that. Um, and then we've been really lucky, like as we've sort of grown uh, we've been able to bring in like a lot of uh, improvisers from other podcasts that we really love or comedian, famous comedians that we're big fans of. Like I got to do a live show with Scott Adsit from uh, 30 Rock and mm. this, the, the, uh, he's always been, I've always been, a, he's always been a, like a performing hero of mine and, you know, ended up doing this weird, he played like a turkey 
with a chicken with a duck in like he had a, he was a turkey that had a chicken living inside of him and a duck living inside Caesar that duck. A living turducken. Yeah. yeah he did all of the voices and it somehow ended up where a thing where i had to barf food into his mouth <laughs> see because vomit's funny apparently yeah uh so stuff like that but also oh i I really love to like also bring in people who aren't necessarily inherently known as comedy first, you know, uh, Chris Perkins, I think is really funny, but also like, it was great to bring him in. Uh, you know, we had, uh, Felicia day, who's also very funny. We've had her on, uh, but also like, um, uh, Corey Doctorow, the writer oh, no way. Uh, and like, uh, played like a spider who does surveillance in the world. So he was able to bring all of that kind of like, writing he does about like the dystopian places the internet is taking us and and sort of using that as sort of like a metaphor within the fantasy world um gosh patrick rothfuss uh we've had on playing like a, a doctor um we've had we you know we've had wrestlers on you know uh we had uh colt cabana on who was very funny who just played like a bear he played a human with a bear's body, so but it's not exactly like a centaur. It's like a full bear, and then instead of just a human head, it's like a torso <laughs> oh my gosh. coming out of that. It was very strange, and he was great. <laughs> did That's he awesome. come up with that character, or did you give him that character? I think it's a combination. Like He came up with this idea of being, I think he wanted to be something called the Brotar. Uh, was, <laughs> uh, and, you know... And we were like, great, we'll sort of discover it from there. The and bear just, tar. <laughs> yeah. And then just in talking to him as he was like explaining his body, like we realized like it wasn't making sense. And so we just discovered in the moment that the way he was explaining it sounded like a like a like if a centaur, if the horse part was a bear, but that that just looks really weird. <laughs> uh, and and so we're just sort of like that was the funniest thing in the moment. So we just kept rolling with it. And that's kind of where the funnest stuff comes from. My favorite one, I mean, I, I by no means have I listened to all 200 episodes, but yeah, I, you know, a dozen or, or two uh, that I, I really have enjoyed over the years. Uh, but the um, the villains that you kind of bring on are really funny, like Drip Fang and, and things like that, because you guys are, are you know, ostensibly good aligned people, uh, you know, fighting against the Dark Lord. But then you bring on these interview, you know, you interview people who are these evil aligned characters, but it's it's all under the guise of it being this interview. So like you can't really attack them or do anything like that, but they're like, eh, we don't like each other, but you're a good guy. No, come back right to the, to the next podcast. Yeah. I mean, the villains are the best. I mean, the villains are just the best. Like it's so fun. It's gotta be so fun to play the villain. Uh, Kevin Sreda who plays drip Fang is so fun. He's just like a necromancer. That's actually just like a made of snakes. Uh, but he's just this oh. like, but he's just this weird, like, he's just like a bunch of snakes combined into like an outfit. And then they just like, always like bangs into the tavern being like, everyone shut up. And, like, <laughs> and uh, just sort of makes dramatic proclamations. Uh, and so that, first of all, is just really fun. Uh, just having that big fun energy. Mm-hmm. And he's so funny. But then uh, I also, one of my favorite things is like, really always coming back to the sort of, weird quality of if it being an interview uh and especially when like a villain comes back yeah where it's sort of like where it's sort of like i am here to the you know i'm here to kill you all all right but would you please speak into the microphone <laughs> so great it's so great to have you back on the show uh stuff like that is really is really fun. and it reminds me of like the onion a little bit in that you know the you know, obviously another 
Midwest Chicago uh, institution, um, and that it, it it what's great about that uh, publication is that it uses all the tropes of news writing but subverts it for comedy purposes. And you guys are doing the same thing as this like news interview show, but you know with this the, it, it, using all the forms that make it make it funny exactly. Like in, yeah, I don't know. I see a lot yeah, of parallels. I, I've always been a big, I mean, it's almost a bit of a cliche, but I've always been a big fan of like where the fantastic meets the mundane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's like where really funny things can happen or just interesting things. And, and so it was very, it was, you know, very intentional, like making it about a host that was just overly invested in having a podcast because it's just this physical thing that uh, you can always kind of come back to and, and remind yourself that like it can make these weird moments where the stakes are so high, but they're also so low in a weird way, you know, where like a town is being taken over, but the host is really worried that he's not going to be able to get good sound. Like, uh, the well, all of the people are being murdered outside. You're like, God, can you just keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love, I mean, I just love the, the, you know, the, the, the weird logical things you have. I think it doesn't use it or like uh, charge your laptop with, uh, with lightning bolt spells and things like that in order to, continue it going yeah i just love that yeah. there's like the weak wi-fi come a signal coming from the still coming from the burger king do you have to go back and keep continuing to buy things at the burger king to keep the wi-fi signal alive you know no one here's the funny thing we've gotten so many questions we get we've gotten so many emails from people asking about Things about the Wi-Fi definitely ask me how we charge the laptop. And you're right. Uh, Usador uses what he calls minuscule lightning. I think that he just sh- shoots at the laptop to charge it every once in a while. <laughs> but no one has ever asked uh, whether we have to, like, re-up our Wi-Fi time. Uh, with the <laughs> uh, I would posit that, you know, we you know, we don't know for sure. Like, we think it's coming from the Burger King, but maybe it's someone – pretending that it's Wi-Fi from the Burger King. And oh. I'm saying that as if that's a real clue, but I don't know. I'm just making that up. The, the Dark Lord has been the, the, the Burger King this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gives his people free Wi-Fi? Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, that there's... It's not so bad, then. Well, you do you do have, but through the emails, you have evidence that the podcast is listened by people in, in our world, right? That's like kind of oh, the yeah. So it's, yeah, and you know we've even done runs of episodes where we're like trying to solve riddles in the tavern in the world. Like there are things hidden in the tavern that we're trying to find, and trying to get people, you know, listeners to to try to solve them and send in uh, send in things. We've tried hiding things, actually hiding things in around Chicago for people to find in oh, real life. Way, I really? was wondering about yeah. Burger King traffic in the Chicago area. It's very but high. it's also sniffing around trying to find a portal. It is actually, you know, we do re- we do call out a specific Burger King oh, as wow. the Burger King. It's at the corner of uh, Irving and uh, Clark in Chicago, uh, which because it's just the one that was relatively close to the Improv Theater we used to perform at a lot. Uh, and people uh, around the ho- when people visit Chicago, they always tweet at us like, "We're at the Burger King" with like pictures Nothing's of them. Nothing's happening. Uh, and then if you visit the Yelp page of that Burger King, which I did not know was a thing, but apparently there are specific Yelp reviews for specific Burger Kings or fast food restaurants, but people are always adding like Yelp reviews of that Burger King being like, it was great. Uh, I walked to the back and suddenly, you know, uh, I got a mead and there was a dragon. No way. Put in these like in jokes about it uh, in the, uh, in the Yelp reviews. That's so funny. Great. 
That's amazing. I love that. I love and I love the hiding of things in in real physical locations for for super fans. Like, uh, yeah, it, we you could have a lot more fun uh, with that too. I, 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 yeah. Oh, cool. It's very cool. I want, I want to jump in and start organizing that. <laughs> and as a game designer, I bet you're like, oh, this is going to be fun, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, only if only we had, I mean, I would, I would have loved to have gone fully down the whole real life game, like real world game uh, track. Uh, and if only, you know, we weren't all a bunch of people with full time jobs. And, you know, I've got like a four year old. So uh, if only, uh, but I, that would have been so fun, right? Like just to, like a game for everyone to kind of try to solve, like in, uh, you know, in parallel with the show itself. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe a future season you can kind of like organize around that. That'd be really, oh, yeah. really cool. Have you ever, as a game designer who doesn't have any time to do this, I acknowledge, but have you ever thought about um, taking it to a different platform and maybe like turning Foon into a real campaign setting that people could play in outside of their imaginations? I think that would be fantastic. Uh, I think it's a combination, yeah. And we've had some, like, we've talked a little a bit about it. Like, we it's we've gotten some offers to do various things. Some things we can talk about. Some things we can't. So I generally <laughs> just, just don't, don't talk about I, them because I feel like if there's certain things you're like, I can talk about everything, but I can't talk about this thing because that's the the real thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think I think that would be great. We have a we also had a brief spinoff podcast. Uh, you know, the, the role-playing game in the world of Foon is Offices and Bosses, where, you know, a wizard is very excited to play a marketing manager. as his- <laughs> uh, And uh, we did like a six, we did like a, we've done two short, short seasons of that on Stitcher Premium. Uh, and that is a lot of fun. And a lot of people have been like, I would love to play yes. uh, Offices and Bosses module. Um, we're totally, I mean, totally into it. We're just got to find, we just got to find the time. Nice. Yeah. Well, we don't know anyone who could help out with that. Maybe Shelly. Don't know. <laughs> really fun stuff. Uh, uh, if people haven't, uh, I, I, you mentioned the Chris Perkins episode is a good drop in and I think it's true too. I think, I don't think you guys go too far down into the, uh, the story, but really any episode you can kind of jump in because it's such light touch continuity that you know yeah part of the fun is every, that- yeah every once in a while there's a real crazy one but most of the episodes like part of the joke of the show is also like we do a lot of signposting and, and recapping and exposition stuff uh because again like my character wants to boost the listener numbers of podcasts in a magical world so someone might be like oh gosh i just my whole town, you know, I'm really not doing well. My whole town was destroyed. And the host is like, yeah, and for new listeners, your town was destroyed by a big dragon that killed everybody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, uh, which is kind of a fun sort of. Right. It falls into the interview trope uh, yep. type yeah. thing as well. Uh, but that's awesome. So, you know, where, uh, where's the best way for people to, to jump in if they want to uh, for Hello from the Magic Tavern? Not like as a website URL type oh, stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can go to hellofromthemagictavern.com or, you know, you can just go and search Hello from the Magic Tavern and whatever, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. Uh, and, you know, look around for one that looks appealing by title. Or if you're really like, I'm in for a long journey of things, you can start at the first episode and go from there. There's really, there's no wrong way to do it. It's not the wire. You know, <laughs> that's your tagline from now on. We're not the wire. Yeah. Uh, and what about you yourself? How can people find out about uh, Arnie and what you're doing? 
Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Arnie, Mr. Spelled Out, M-I-S-T-E-R-A-R-N-I-E on Twitter. Um, you can follow Jackbox Games on Twitter as well to see like uh, what games we're working on uh, for next year. We're working on some really cool stuff uh, for the coming year. Uh, those are really the best places. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, always great to hear uh, about creative podcast and this is one of the ones that I think definitely struck a nerve and uh, I think a lot of our listeners will, will, will dig so yep, uh, sure. hopefully people jump in and then we'll see a whole bunch of uh, you know magical land of the Forgotten Realms podcasts and things as you know the uh, the pho shop in Renton here has got a dimensional riff going on probably too <laughs> maybe <laughs> thank stuff. you so much for having me on and it was so good uh, to talk to you again awesome well we'll see you later Arnie later. thanks Arnie bye bye uh, this has been a very fun episode yes. of Dragon Talk. I think, I, I, for those of you who don't watch us live on Twitch, there has been hilarity happening here in the studio office. You should watch us live. Luckily, Shelly is no longer crying from laughter. No. But there are, there's just crying. Banana shrapnel all over the table. Uh, somebody threw a banana at me. <laughs> That shall banana remain peel. banana peel, correct? Yeah. Yes. Not like a banana. That'd that be would crazy. be crazy. That would be horrible. That'd be crazy. I think it fits really well with our uh, theme of uh, comedy improv podcast. Uh, it was great to talk to yes. Arnie and, and pick his brain. I love um, uh, everything about you know comedy in general, but there's something about improv that is just great to be like, how, it's how so do you scary. do it? And, it's so scary. Tell us about it. Um, I think if he, after he listens to this episode, he's probably going to ask us to join his his improv troupe. I think he's, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a moral imperative. Like, this is Probably the last dragon talk that we're going to do because we're going to go on the road and do improv. Improv. Banana. All over the world. Yep. Or maybe you'll see us next week. <laughs> at, exact- at, this, at this exact same time <laughs> as we do all the time. Uh, well, thank you for listening and bearing with us and all that fun stuff. But would love to uh, make sure everyone spreads the word about Dragon Talk if you can. We're, we're um, trying to do that uh, right now in this period, as we always do. But, you know, there's, there's always good fun stuff for people to learn about Dungeons & Dragons, about the D&D community, as well as lore and uh, sage advice and our new random character yeah, generator. Uh, got a great segment. reception. Got a great reception. Well, yeah, we're going to do another one, uh, I believe, next week. Cool. Uh, we're recording that next week so that should be great um any other fun stuff that's going on in uh betrayal uh legacy we were number four right betrayal house on the hill betrayal house on the hill was number four of like board games board games sold in, sold in, in stores in february right yeah right that's a great okay. yeah amazing because it's like a the company that it was in like to get to ride and and Catan and, and like Catan, all these like, like all heavy like, hitters yeah Number yeah. four. Guess what? Betrayal's a heavy hitter. My baby. Your baby. My baby. Yeah. I was very proud to see it in there. It is good stuff. Um, and we need to play Betrayal Legacy. Hopefully next week we can finish up this haunt. I know. We've been in the same haunt for a long time. We've had lots of travel back in and out. So uh, yeah. let's make it happen. We're doing it. We're doing it. And then I think we should go to the next haunt right after that. Immediately. Immediately. You know, yeah. and try to bang it out. Like we're, oh, we're so close. We're so, so close. <laughs> Rab Dab- Rob Dabio. And I know things, things that you guys don't know that it's going to blow <gasps> your little minds. You do? I don't know, like, everything. But, but you I know, know some components like, that are in there because yeah. you had to price them all out. I do know them intimately. And there's, like, something coming up that you guys better appreciate so much. Oh, we will. We're going to appreciate you it. better. I'd better. Okay. But you got to give some signals so that we know what to appreciate. When I go like this. <laughs> When you start crying out of your eyes with laughter, uh, that's how you're supposed to be appreciative. 
Yes. We can make it happen. All okay. right. Well, if you haven't uh, ever played Betrayal at House on the Hill or Betrayal Legacy, perfect time to jump in. It is a really great board game uh, that blends the storytelling and choices that you have in RPGs, really. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, with a little bit more of a horror trope theme to it. Yeah. It is amazing. You'll love it. And there's a betrayal at Baldur's Gate out there. If you like a little D&D with your board games. Exactly. Yeah. Got the same kind of feel and themes of, uh, of, of, of betrayal, but adding in some fun D&D moments and tropes and classes and things like that. Yep. And, and special powers and spells. Yeah. Right. So you can play as a druid, as a bard, as, a, yeah. as a, all those things. Do it. In betrayal. We should play Baldur's that again, Gate. too. We should. That's I was just thinking game. about that. Yeah. yeah. Let's get in there. All right. And, uh, of course, if you want to find out everything about Dungeons & Dragons, you can go to the website, DungeonsAndDragons.com. Follow us on Twitter at Wizards underscore DND. You can ask me any questions you want. I'm at Greg Tito. I will answer all of them, uh, especially what's coming out next. If you want to ask, you know, I will always tell people about that, especially in a public forum. Uh, And, Shelly, what about you? Can people ask you questions about what's the next Avalon Hill game that's coming out? Yeah... Except I can't tell you. Oh, <laughs> not for. A I was being while. facetious. You but in general, it. do it at Shelly Moo on Twitter, or Avalon Hill Two on Twitter. On Twitter, or we're both on Facebook. Facebook it up. Facebook it up. Yes, and uh, Dragon Plus has an amazing issue out for February. It is uh, an app that you can download on your Android or iOS device and get, tw- you know. Um, really great articles, insight, interviews into stuff that's coming up with Dungeons and Dragons. There's yep. tons of Gold of Salt Marsh preview content oh, there now. Get so in there. Download it uh, and it, it can get on your phone with some fun notifications when new things pop up. Yep. Or you can check out that content on dragonmag.com on the web. Uh, accessible in your browser. And we also had a, a great conversation with Kate Welch about Salt Marsh. We did indeed. Yes, that right. That was that was two so weeks look ago. Look that up. Look that up. That was a super fun one. Delve into it. And the first time you guys did the random character generator. That was that's right. right. We recorded that um, two Fridays ago. Yeah. Jeez. And uh, we also talked about the WizKids Falling Star ship that's available oh, now. Yeah. Uh, two fifty available in game stores. So uh, cool. By two fifty, I mean not two dollars and fifty cents, but two hundred and fifty dollars. Definitely pricey, but it is worth the. Uh, de- because of all the detail and uh, craziness oh, and ability to the play hours on, of I mean, entertainment. How many times have you wanted to have a ship like that and uh, uh, and use it when you're uh, in a D and D campaign four. on the high seeds? Like at least four, yeah. four times. And uh, now you have it available. That's to you. actually what I pictured when we played in the um, yeah salvage. Me too. Operation. Yeah. Operation. Me too. Sal- which, what is it called? Salvage operation. Salvage operation. Yes, right. which is a chapter in Ghost of Saltmarsh. Yep. That's what I pictured in my uh, head. So, yeah, you can look for that adventure that Shelly played in uh, on our YouTube channel, on D&D YouTube, uh, as well as almost all the stuff that we do uh, for the videos of Dragon Talk and uh, basically everything that happens from the D&D Twitch channel ends up on our YouTube page. So check it out. D&D is everywhere. It's everywhere, people. Yep. Uh, how can people – oh, we already did your, your – your, did you do your at Shelly Moo as well? Yep, all right, at Shelly Moo. Follow her. She's good. And him. Meh. He's good, too. You know what else is really good is this, uh, like, loose stone that I see on the I roof of this like cavern. I feel like if you plucked that stone, it might not be the best idea for us. Well, why not? I mean, there might be tons of bananas behind it. I don't know if we should do that. Um, all right. Well, I'll let you do it, then. I'm not going to do it. I think you should do it. Well, I don't think I should. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, all, it's covered in bananas. <laughs>